You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I've never had that in my Christian life, but some Christians in the world in those days of this writing did, and some Christians around the world still. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. I think it would be fairly easy to suggest that the summary of verses 32 to verse 35 Don't give up your courage. Are you living courageously in your faith? In this country, we may face ridicule, or you could get passed over for a job or promotion when someone knows that you're a believer. But have you ever had your freedom taken away? Have you ever been injured or threatened with death? Most likely, you'd have to say no. Today, Pastor Danny will ask us to step up in our faith and to start living it out. It's not even that risky in our society, yet all too often we cower and resist anything that takes us outside of our comfort zone. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 with today's edition of The Living Word. Hebrews chapter 10. It was my intention to go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, where we spent a couple of weeks on what I called it death and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We spent most of our time talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, beginning with clear signs that tell us that his coming is soon. And then we talked about how to be prepared. And believe it or not, there were six points in how to be prepared, and I only covered three. Now, I didn't let on to that. Uh, I, we ended the third uh, point a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought, well, that's as far as we got, and then I'll deal with it with the Lord later. And I felt the Lord wanted me to go back and cover those last three points. So I intended on doing that. And then Friday, uh, I felt, well, you ought to at least read and get freshly familiar with the second half of Hebrews chapter 10 before you make a final decision on going back to Hebrews chapter 9. And so I read the last part of Hebrews chapter 10, and it was clearly evident the Lord's confirmation. And the Lord's confirmation is due to the second half of chapter 10 because of the three points that I was going to cover, two are clearly in the last half of Hebrews chapter 10, and one is clearly at least implied. So, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. Remember when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, God 
tore the curtain in the tabernacle, in the temple there, from top to bottom, signifying that now the way is open for us to go by faith in Jesus Christ into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. If you've been with us, you know that from the study of Hebrews. So his body, his sacrifice, is the curtain, if you will, that is now open because of his sacrifice for us to enter the very presence of God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now let's really hone in beginning in verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The King James, Old King James Version translates it this way, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. A lot of times the word provoke is used in a negative connotation, but when the King James translated it, it's obviously in a positive connotation uh, because the word means to arouse, to incite, to stimulate. Synonym would be to encourage. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And verse 25 gives a very simple way to do that. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Jesus' second coming, his return. We see the day approaching. It's approaching soon. And so the idea is don't meet less together, meet more together. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular point, but I think a lot of us would agree but even though this meeting, and this meeting has become very large, I mean, I never planned on, you know, our church being this size. Only God can control that. But this is a very large meeting, and we've had three of them this weekend, like we do every weekend. And this meeting is not designed to be very personal. I know some of you get together beforehand and have coffee and even a meal. Some of you will hang out after this service and have a meal, and you can be more personal then. But this meeting is not designed to be deeply personal. This meeting is a public assembly of all of us. We come together to worship in song. Scripture says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then we come to simply hear the word of God as we make our way through all of the Bible and teach all of the Bible. But I think probably most of us here would agree that just being here today, just being here today is encouraging. How many of you are encouraged just already from being here today? Really, really. I'm encouraged from being here. But every time I'm in the service and I try to stay in one whole one, complete one, to worship, and I'm always encouraged. Now, believe it or not, there's sometimes I don't want to come here for a church service. Come on now, don't look at me like that. I'm no different than you. But see, I, have, I, I come sometimes when I don't feel like coming, uh, not only because I know I need to, but because I'm the pastor. And so that kind of makes a difference. You know, I need to show up a little more than you. I need to show up. But sometimes I don't feel like coming emotionally, uh, physically, whatever's gone on. I just feel like I, I just don't want to go today. And then I come and you've experienced this. I know you come because you've had the same experiences and just, just during the song service alone, before you hear a loud, loud mouth like me, get up and share the word, you, you're encouraged. So very simply, hey, the text saying, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You might know some Christians that used to be here on a regular basis. They're not here on a regular basis. Some not at all. And listen, this is the way we encourage one another. Now, 
I also encourage you, and we really need the small group ministry, life group ministry and other small group ministries. So let us encourage one another. Encourage. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then this last statement, verse, that ought to be sobering. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, those few verses, all the Holy Spirit is saying through the writer here is, listen, if you've received the knowledge of the truth that you need to repent, believe in Jesus Christ, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and yet you never have done that, you never have been born again, then you go back to that life of deliberate sin. And if you go back to that, there's no other sacrifice for sins left to save you. You've rejected the very sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can save you. Now, this is interesting to me because the context of the whole passage that you'll see by the time we're done is encouraging us to not, of course, be in deliberate sin because we have been born again. We do know the Lord. Uh, here are some of the points we shared a couple of weeks ago. How to be prepared for death and the second coming of Jesus Christ. First, you need the oil of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 25, the first of three parables in Matthew 25 that Jesus told us in these parables how to be ready. Matthew 24, here are the signs of my coming. Matthew 25, three parables on how to be ready for my coming. And the first is make sure you got the oil of the Holy Spirit, the parable of the virgins, 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. And the point of the story is all virgins there, that speaks of some kind of commitment, some kind of religious commitment, but it takes more than religious commitment. Jesus said to a very religiously committed man, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So more than religious commitment, you need the oil of the Holy Spirit, you need to be born again. And then the second parable, parable of the talents, of uh, taking the wealth, financial wealth that God's given us and honoring him with it. And by doing so, we're investing in heavenly things in the kingdom of God. And then third uh, was the parable of the sheep and the goats. And remember the sheep and the goats and the point of the parable was the goats, the ones that weren't really saved, said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked and needing, needing these things and we didn't help you? He says, whatever you did not do to the least of these brothers of mine, you did not do to me. And then sheep were the ones that did reach out to hurting humanity. And that's the brothers he's talking about, I believe. Galatians says we're to do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. So this is personally getting involved. You want to be ready? personally reaching out to a hurting world in the name of Jesus. That was the three points we covered. Here's point number four that we didn't get to. Stay alert and maintain self-control. Self-control, if you will, is the opposite of the deliberate sin where you keep on willfully sinning. And that's what we just read in verses 26 to 31. 
Stay alert. Maintain self-control. Let me just read you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1 says, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light, sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. He's talking spiritually. But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, which was mentioned there in Hebrews 10, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So stay alert. Maintain self-control. If there's one guy that learned that lesson, it was Peter. He writes three times in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, be alert, be self-controlled. Verse 7 of chapter 4, he actually says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and self-controlled. He says it again in chapter 5, 8. Great verse to memorize on this point, and then we're going to move on, but great verse is Proverbs 25, 28, and it says, like a city without walls is he who lacks self-control. I memorized that years ago. Like a city without walls, in other words, you have no defense. Self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's also something that I need to develop and maintain in my life as a Christian because it's saying no to sin every day. It's saying no to self every day. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Now, point number five was this. Keep up your courage. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul writes, and he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men and women, of course, of courage, be strong. Back in Hebrews, interesting, the next section beginning in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So you weren't always the direct blunt of the persecution or the insult, but you saw a fellow brother or sister being persecuted or insulted, and you stood with them. You identified as a fellow believer with them, and that would encourage them. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I've never had that in my Christian life, but some Christians in the world in those days of this writing did, and some Christians around the world still, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. I think it would be fairly easy to suggest that the summary of verses 32 to verse 35, don't give up your courage. Remember how you were courageous and faced suffering and persecution and insult in the early days of your Christian life? Well, he's saying to some who have now stepped back, and you're not as courageous as you used to be. You're not standing for truth like you once did. And maybe it's because you suffered at some point so much that you go, I'm just not going to be able to handle that anymore. And you've pulled back. It takes courage. I'm 55 years old. It takes just as much courage for me in a world where I'm around unbelievers to confess Jesus Christ as it did when I was 19 years old and I first received Christ as Lord and Savior. It takes courage. I'm just like anybody. I like being liked. I don't like insult. I don't like feeling uncomfortable in the crowd. You know, 
I don't like any of those things. Who does? If you like it, I'll say like I do on some of these points, I ain't hanging out with you. If that's what you're looking for. I'm not looking for that. It takes courage. It takes commitment. And there's a cost involved. And some people aren't willing to pay the cost. That's why some people never actually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even though they may come to believe in him, they're never saved. They're never really saved. They believe in Jesus, but they're never really saved because they don't have the courage to step over the line now and really be saved. When the Romans, actually the Jews, wanted to crucify Jesus, they had to get the Roman authorities to condemn Jesus to death because they didn't have the power. Rome was an authority. And so the Jewish leaders ended up bringing Jesus before a Roman governor named Pilate. The encounter between Jesus and Pilate, to me, every time I look at it, is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. And as I read just a few excerpts, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. John's Gospel, chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 33. Uh, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus questions Pilate back. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Jesus knows how to go right for the juggler, doesn't he? He says, is that your opinion or the opinion of others? What's your opinion? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And then Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. And what Pilate is going to find out in very short order is that it is truth actually speaking to him. It's truth embodied before him. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a rebel and a murderer. And yet they say, give us Barabbas. And they want Jesus crucified. Let me read you one verse from Matthew's account of this encounter between Jesus and Governor Pilate. Matthew chapter 27, one verse, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Did you get that? This is fascinating to me. 
Pilate gets an opportunity for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And in that encounter, while he is in that encounter, a message comes from his wife. And what God did was give his wife a dream that had a particular point, And the point was, Jesus is innocent. And the message is clear. Hey, hubby, <laughs> you better make the right decision regarding this man, Jesus, because I've just had a dream. God sends a dream to Pilate's wife in order to speak to Pilate that he might make the right decision regarding Jesus. Well, back in John's gospel, and it's my belief that these next verses happen after the message from his wife, John chapter 19 and verse 4, once more Pilate came out and he said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. What had happened was he had been flogged by the Roman soldiers. They had mocked him. They had put a purple robe on him and they had slapped him in the face with his head covered and said, prophesy, O king, who hit you? They took a crown of thorns and they pushed it down on his head. And so now he's bloody. He's beaten. And Pilate is hoping, hoping that now that uh, the people see him, the Jews uh, see him in this condition, they'd be satisfied. But when Jesus came out wearing the crowns and the purple robe, Pilate said, here's the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. That's the third record we have of Pilate publicly declaring this. I find no basis for a charge. And the Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Boy, does Pilate's emotion really get racing here. The next verse says this, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He was even more afraid. When you put all the accounts together, it's an easy conclusion. There's something going on. There's a word that describes Pilate's condition. It's called conviction. <laughs> it's conviction. It's the state of convincing a person of error or of compelling the admission of a truth. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Pilate is compelled to believe that he's a king. He's not a king of this world. His kingdom is from another world. Listen, listen, let me just say, when you compare all the accounts of the encounter between Jesus and Pilate, here's what you conclude very clearly. Pilate came to believe in Jesus Christ. And yet, the record of Scripture and the record of history indicates that he was never saved. He was never born again. He believed. But he never took the courageous step to do what he needed to do to be saved. Let's read the rest of the story from John's gospel. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. You know why? Pilate already knows. He's from another world. 
Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, get this answer. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. The book of Hebrews contains a unique passage that's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. This section gives you a synopsis of people who followed their Creator without knowing the end result or with having each step laid out for them. These icons of trust were definitely not without flaw. Their journeys weren't free from trials and tribulations either, but they came back to their faithful Heavenly Father time and time again, trusting that He would fulfill His promises. God used these ordinary men and women to accomplish great things in their time and to set in motion kingdom work that would continue to change lives for countless generations to come. We're so glad that you joined us today to study the book of Hebrews with Pastor Danny Hodges here on The Living Word. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of Pastor Danny's teachings through the books of the Bible, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today, or if you'd like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's info at ccfstpete.church. We count it as a privilege to lift our valued listeners up to the Lord in prayer. That's all we have time for today in our study of Hebrews. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue digging deeper into Scripture right here on The Living Word.